Well, good morning, beloved Covenant family. It's great to see you all and be with you, whether we are here in person or online. Uh, it's always good to be able to be together. And I just want to, of course, say hello to the kiddos who are here online or in person. Uh, it's always such a joy to see you. Well, before we go on, let me just thank uh, those of you who've been praying for Sharon as she's been recovering from her major back surgery a week and a half ago. Uh, we are so grateful for your prayers, your notes, your meals, your offers of help. It has meant so much to us. And Sharon is doing amazingly well. She's uh, up and walking every day and, uh, and is making a lot of progress, but the progress is slow and there's a lot still ahead of us and the pain's still pretty considerable. Uh, so your prayers still really mean a lot. Thank you so much for your care for her and for us. Well, let me just orient you to our worship focus this morning and how the service is going to unfold. It's going to be a very different sort of service than we might typically do. This morning, uh, as we round the corner into fall, we thought it might be good for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and what we are called to do. Those of you who've been walking with us, you know that this summer we spent time walking through the one another passages in Scripture that kind of lay out God's design for us and for the way that we would relate to one another as the people of God. And we want to shift our focus this morning back to who God is and, and what's true about him, how his presence defines us and empowers us. It makes us who we are and focus again on who he is and what he is doing and why he is worthy of our worship and our service. Uh, you know that we place a really high value on the scriptures here at Covenant. We believe that every passage of scripture is inspired by God, and it's a revelation of what is true about God or about us or about the world in which we live or the life into which God is calling us. And because of that, one of our deepest commitments as a church is to the regular weekly exposition of Scripture, opening up, digging in, discovering uh, the truth that is there, and then seeking to integrate that into our lives. But since the earliest days of the church, there is another way, in addition to using the Scriptures instructionally, there's another way that the Scriptures have been used in the life of the people of God, and that is to use the Scriptures devotionally to use them as a guide for our worship and our prayer, to allow the scriptures to usher us into the presence of God, to remind us what's true about this God that we know and love and serve, to help us encounter him in a fresh way, and to move us to respond with praise and gratitude and renewed commitment to God. And that's how we're going to be approaching our use of the scripture this morning. This morning, we'll be using Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13, in a devotional way to take us by the hand and to lead us into the presence of God and through our worship. So if you have a Bible nearby, whether you're at home, online, or here, I'd encourage you just to pull that out, open it up, uh, because we'll be referring to that again and again throughout the morning. This portion of scripture, this part of Isaiah chapter 43, was inspired by God 2,800 years ago to be a gift of encouragement to his people who had been dragged apart and who had been scattered abroad and, and hauled off into exile. And it describes how God purposefully and painstakingly gathers his people back together and reestablishes them. So it speaks with incredible relevance to us today, doesn't it? As we think about our own circumstances, as we've been pushed apart and pulled apart by, as a result of COVID, and we now find ourselves so slowly, in such a stop-start sort of way, slowly coming back together as God's people. 
Let me just say this, Isaiah 43, this, these 13 verses, this is an amazing passage. There's so much here, so much more than we can touch on this morning. And I just want to encourage you over this coming week to, to return to it, maybe four days in a row. First is saying, what does this remind me is true about God? The next day, what does this remind me is true about uh, what God does and what he is doing now? And then the next day, what does this remind me is true about me, how God sees me, what he calls me to? And then the last day, what does this say is true about um, what God calls for me to do and to be about in my life and in this world? So we'll begin this morning by reading the first verse, which is really an introduction to this portion of Scripture. And that will lead us into an opening prayer, and it will usher us into the presence of God together. And then we'll allow the remaining four sections of this portion of Scripture to create the shape of the rest of our worship service. They will be uh, woven in throughout the flow of our worship, and we will stop with each of these sections with a response to what we are hearing and being reminded of and invited into. A response of praise and gratitude to God after the first one, a response of communion after the second one, a response of gratitude for one another after the third one, and then with a prayer of commitment after the fourth one. So let's just quiet our hearts now. When we arrive this morning, we stepped into the presence of God who is already here, having opened his arms to welcome us, having invited us to come before him in worship. To invite God to lift our eyes off of the distractions and the concerns of the morning and to lift them to him. Good morning, Lord. You are present in our midst. You are high and lifted up. You are seated on the throne. And we come together as your people to give you the honor and the praise that are your due as our king. We come with joy and we come with expectancy. We open our hearts and our lives up to you. Bring us into your presence. Give us eyes to see you and speak to us from your word this morning, Lord. Here's your invitation to us in the first verse of Isaiah 43. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Lord, come and and walk through our midst by your spirit in our worship this morning. Give us eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. Remind us what's true, what's real, what's most important, what matters most. Recalibrate our lives in your presence, Lord. Lord, in this passage, you use the same words to describe our beginnings as your people that you used in Genesis to describe the creation of the universe. You created us by your will and for your pleasure, bringing us into existence out of nothing. And you formed us, fashioning us into the sort of people that you intend us to be. We exist because of you and for you. We are your workmanship. Thank you, Lord, that we are blessed to participate in the mystery of your redemptive work in this world, to be on the receiving end of your grace and to be folded into your family. 
Lord, we live in a fraught and broken world and we are fraught and broken people right along with it. But we need not fear. You invite us to trust you all over again this morning, to lean into you, not to be afraid. Why do we not need to be afraid? Because you have redeemed us. You call us family and you treat us like family. There are no lengths that you won't go to on our behalf. You take upon yourself the burdens of our own making, paying our debt, setting us free, folding us into your arms. Why need we not be afraid? Because you have summoned us, each of us, by name. We are blessed beyond words, beyond comprehension, beyond any merit of ours. We are blessed to be in relationship with you, to know you and to be known by you. Why need we not be afraid this morning? Because you have laid claim to us. We belong to you. We are yours. Your people, your servants, your children. You carry us in your heart and you carry us in your arms and you will carry us home. How faithful you are, Lord, to your people. Walking with us. Watching over us providing for us, leading us. What a faithful God you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our faithful God, we praise and worship you. After those opening words of invitation and reminder, we come to the first section of this passage, verse 2 where God speaks an amazing promise to us as his people. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What are these floods and fires that God speaks of? The language that he uses is intentionally open-ended and vague. Think about the forest fires like those that are hitting Greece and Siberia and California, about the flash floods like those devastating Turkey and Japan. Think about what they have in common. Fires and floods are forces against which we as human beings feel small and helpless. They visit their pain and their destruction indiscriminately on us, and we feel powerless in the face of them. Fires and floods represent any difficulties that seem larger than us, that are too big for us, that are outside of our control. What are some of those fires and floods that you have had to face? Listen again to God's astounding promise. Listen how comprehensive the promises are. When you pass through the waters, I. When you pass through the waters, they. When you pass through the waters, you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. What is out of our control is not out of God's control. He is over it. And what seems beyond our enduring is not. He will meet us in it. Think about the fires and floods that you, that we together have had to navigate over the past year and a half. 
Maybe you're in the middle of one right now still. Now think about how God has been faithful to see you through those. How he has protected you, strengthened you, carried you, given you everything you need, been for you everything that you need. I want to invite us to respond to the faithful presence of God in our fires and floods by lifting our praise and thanks back to God this morning. This will be a familiar practice for many of you who've been part of the covenant family for a while. Over the next few minutes, I just want to invite you, as God prompts you, just to speak out loud a one-sentence word of praise or of thanksgiving to God for some way that he has been with you, with us, in the fires and the floods that have come our way. And don't worry if two people speak at the same time. God is able to sort that out. So let's bring our praise and our thanks to God. Lord, hear our words of thanks and praise to you this morning. Lord, I praise you that you are always present in our midst. Glorious and holy God, we could go on and on. You are worthy of our gratitude and you are worthy of our praise. We worship you. Our holy God never ceases to surprise us. In verse 1, he says, you are mine. With emphasis. <laughs> Don't fret about that. <laughs> yeah, great. I love that. Awesome. All right. In verse 1, God says, you are mine. And now, in verse 3, we will hear him say, I am yours. I am the God who gives himself to you because I love you. Verses 3 and 4. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. At the heart of this section, as you see, are words that a husband would speak to his wife at a wedding ceremony. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Can you hear God saying those words to you this morning? To us? You are precious, in my, precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Coupled with those mysterious words are other, even more mysterious words. But words that also are incredibly moving. God says, I love you, so I give myself to you at cost to myself. The mysterious language of substitutionary sacrifice ripples through this passage. It's repeated four different times. Others are given for your ransom, in your stead, in exchange for your life, in exchange for your life. This only makes sense if we understand that the nations all belong to God and are prized and cherished by him. So when God, with painful plagues, falls on Egypt in order to free Israel from its slavery, 
And when God lets a foreign invader come upon Babylon in order to shake free his people and to bring them home, it expresses God's willingness for the cost of his people's redemption to fall ultimately on himself. God's love costs. God's love sacrifices. God's love lays down its life. And we see the ultimate fulfillment of this, of course, in the cross when God himself comes in the person of Jesus and God himself dies in our place. Why? Because we are precious and honored in his sight and because he loves us. So he gives himself as our ransom in our stead, his life in exchange for our life. And that sacrificial exchange is what opens the door for us to enter into a relationship with God for eternity, the relationship for which we were made. It's why we exist. God created us and he formed us. Why? Because he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. God came to us and he died for us. Why? The same reason. Because he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. Now we come to the section that expresses the lengths to which God is willing to go to gather his people together. And he makes plain why. You'll notice that first he talks about his people as your children. But then he shifts and he talks about them as my children, my sons, my daughters, those who bear my name. Verses 5 to 7. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God's global project is to make a people for himself. To gather together people from every nation and tribe and people and language and to create nothing less than a new humanity. We are God's people. In verse 1, God says he calls us by our names. So intimate is his love for us. And now in verse 7, he says he calls us by his name. So complete is his claim on us. The church is not an afterthought. The church is God's gift to us as his children to strengthen us and encourage us and build us up in the faith. You are surrounded by men and women, young men and women, children who are your brothers and sisters and your gifts from the hands of God, treasures given to you from him. They are part of how God will show you that he is with you in the fire and in the flood. They are part of how God will show you that you are precious and honored in his sight and that he loves you. Stop now just for a moment and think about how this has been true for you. Who is the sister? Who is the brother who has made God's presence tangible for you in the midst of life's fires and floods? Who is the brother? Who is the sister who has made God's love real for you in the midst of a world of false lovers? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand just for 30 seconds and to find just two people who are near you. It doesn't matter if you've never seen them before in your life or they are your closest friends. 
I want you to find two people and say to them in whatever way feels COVIDically comfortable for you both, something like this. I thank God for you. You are a gift from God to me. Those of you who are watching online, I just would encourage you to pull out your phones now and, and shoot the, the words of this in a text to someone that God brings to your mind, a brother or sister in Christ. And maybe you who are here in person, God has put a specific person in your mind, somebody that God has used to flesh out his love and care for you in recent months. And you may want to send a text to that person as well. So I invite you now, please stand just for 30 seconds. Find two people to say, you are a gift to me. And then have a seat. God has just reminded us that the church is the visible expression of the people of God in this world. But as we'll discover next, the church doesn't just make the people of God visible. We have the holy and awesome responsibility of making God himself visible in this world. God speaks in verses 6 and 7 of my sons, my daughters, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You've heard me say this before, to glorify God is to reveal him for who he is, to unveil him, to, to put him on display. This next section, verses 8 through 13, reveals one way that God intends for that to happen through our lives. The world is filled with idols, gods, religions, and belief systems. Competing truth claims, each one inviting our allegiance. In this section, God calls us to imagine a trial taking place. Each belief system, each object of worship is invited to stand. And then its followers are invited to take the witness stand and to prove that their view is the right view, to convince everyone else that their beliefs are true. Picking up in verse 8, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, all the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove that they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. And then in verse 10, God turns to us. He turns to his people, and he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? This passage affirms a pattern, a rhythm that God establishes early in Scripture and reiterates again and again throughout its pages. And that is this. God gathers in his people, folding them into his embrace as a father does a child to comfort them and to strengthen them and to equip them and to build them up into maturity. And then he turns and he sends his people back out into the world as his witnesses and his servants to represent him, to represent him in this world, in our offices and labs and classrooms and neighborhoods. 
We exist because of God, he says in verse 1, and we exist for the sake of God, he says in verse 10. I made you to know me, and I made you to make me known so that others might know me too. We are witnesses, you and I. We are the living evidence before the world that this is what our God is like. Our lives are meant to be proof, to be the thing that convinces the world that what we say about our God is true. It is a noble and a daunting and a thrilling calling. So I invite you to respond to this final section by joining me in a prayer of commitment that reflects the same posture of heart that Isaiah reflects in Isaiah chapter 6 when he says to God, here am I, send me. Pray with me. Lord, Savior, Holy One, Father, how worthy you are of our worship and of our service. Because you love us, you created us, you formed us, you revealed yourself to us, you spoke to us. Because you love us, you called us, you summoned us by name, you allowed us to know you, to trust you, to understand you. Because you love us, you saved us, you reconciled us to yourself. You called us your sons and daughters. You placed your name upon us. All, Lord, because you love us. And now, Lord, you call us to be your witnesses and your servants because you love the student in the desk next to ours and the worker in the cubicle beside ours and the neighbor in the home adjoining ours. And you love the stranger on the far side of the globe, too. And you invite us to go out into this world to be your witnesses, the living evidence that you are who you say you are. And we say, yes, Lord, here we are. Send us, send me, reveal yourself in us, love the world through us. Strengthen and encourage us for this calling by your spirit within. That not just we, but that all your people from every nation and tribe and people and language might kneel before your throne in worship and in praise at the sound of your great name. In the name of Jesus, our King, we pray this. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have been so moved this morning to be reminded of this God that has pursued us and has loved us and laid down his life for us and claimed us as his own. I want to go out there and I want to be a witness. I want to be living evidence. I want us together to be living evidence that God is who he is.